0: You may have a seat. Welcome, everybody, to our Good Friday service. I like to think of this as sort of a prerequisite to Easter. Like I said in the prayer, I think it's wise for us not to rush into the the glory, the celebration, the joy of the resurrection, but to first spend some time wondering why it matters so much. And tonight is about that. Our family moved to Des Moines three years ago. We love this city. More than anything, we love this church. It's been the greatest honor, privilege of my career to be able to be a part of Table Church. And so thank you all for making it possible. I'll tell you one thing I haven't loved since moving here and it's the amount of times my basement has gotten water in it. Right now I'm trying to figure out how to fix a water issue for the third time in 3 years. It's not fun. But you know, I suppose it's kind of a sign of how lucky I am that I'm here trying to keep water out of my life, when in fact for many people around the world, and for many people through history, their life is centered around trying to find water that they can drink. According to the nonprofit charity Water, one in ten people alive today don't have access to clean water. That's 785 million people. And so it should not be a big surprise that water is a common theme in the Gospels. After all, water is central to life. For example, in John chapter 4, Jesus talks to a woman who is coming to get water from a well, and he tells this woman that he can give her living water. Now, living water was a term that was used for fresh, clean, running water. Living water was precious because it was always clean. It's always fresh. It's like a brook or a stream or a river. That's a lot better than a cistern or a well, where you never know what might fall in that thing and die. And so, living water—if you found living water, you just struck gold. Now, the woman at the well naturally wants to know where to find this living water. She lives in a very dry, arid part of the world, and Jesus makes it clear. He says that He is the source of the living water. He says, "Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst." He goes on in chapter 6 to tell crowds that whoever comes to him will never be hungry and never be thirsty, he says. And then he stands up in front of a large crowd on a hot day and he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Throughout John, Jesus is telling us again and again that he has water that will never run out. This water metaphor comes up over and over again. Those who are in him will never go thirsty, which is why it should grab our attention that the last thing Jesus did before he died was say that he's thirsty. I am thirsty, Jesus says. So they bring in some cheap wine, on a sponge. Notice this. The one who promises water that will never run out finds himself in need of a drink, The one who declares that in him people will never be thirsty is desperately thirsty himself. The one who changed water into wine, fine wine, finds himself drinking the the drink of a poor man, which raises the question, did Jesus fail? Did something go wrong? Did he run his mouth a little too much with all this talk about living water only to be humiliated by his enemies? and forced to ask for something to drink? Or is there a significance to this moment that we shouldn't miss? A chapter earlier, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, but Peter, his disciple, takes out his sword and he chops off the ear of one of the soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. He's like, ain't nobody getting to my master. He chops his ear off. But Jesus rebukes Peter for it. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Peter, the Father has a cup for me to drink, Jesus is saying, and, and by fighting these soldiers, you're keeping me from that. So this cup that Jesus talks about, we can find out what that's all about. In fact, you go backwards in the Bible, in the book of Jeremiah, God sends the prophet Jeremiah to prophesy against these sinful nations, nations that have committed adultery and um, injustice and that kind of thing. And God sends Jeremiah to these nations. And look what God says to Jeremiah. He says, take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. The cup of God's wrath is sent to these idolatrous nations for their sin. And that is the cup that Jesus asked the Father to let pass from him in the garden of Gethsemane in that passage that Jay read earlier. That is the cup that Jesus must drink. It is the cup that was meant for us. It is the cup prepared for those who commit injustice and idolatry. It's the cup of God's wrath. That is the cup that was prepared for us that Jesus drinks instead. And so, when Jesus says, I am thirsty, I believe we are to understand something more here than physical thirst It is Jesus' willing surrender to God's plan. It is his willingness to take upon himself the just punishment for our sins. I am thirsty, Jesus says. I will drink the cup of God's wrath for you. I will suffer the punishment that was yours. Here's what we're saying. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so you can drink the water of eternal life. It's only after this that Jesus finally utters his last words. It is finished, he says. In the Greek, it's one word, to tetelestai. It's the word you'd write on a bill when it's been paid. It's done. The deal is over. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so you could drink the water of eternal life. There are people everywhere, maybe even here in this room right now, who are desperately thirsty. We thirst for life that only God can give. But here's the thing about that. We're really good at being thirsty, but pretending like we're not. We're really good at being thirsty, pretending, trying to convince ourselves that we're not, that we're fine, that we've actually got it figured out, that we know a thing or two about this life and how it should be lived. Some of us call it ambition. I'm just driven. I like to succeed. I'm ambitious. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's true, but maybe you're also searching for something you can't seem to find. Maybe you have a need and you're trying to fill it with other things like success. Are you ambitious or are you thirsty? Some people call it being enlightened. They, the Bible's outdated, they say. It has nothing to say to us for a modern person. The Bible is a silly old book that can't speak to me now. I don't need anyone telling me what to do. I don't need anyone telling me how to live my life. I know how to find joy and fulfillment. I know the key to a fulfilled life. Really? How's that going? Because I look around and I see a lot of people who are confident that they know best, but they're still crashing and burning. Are you enlightened? or Are you just trying to hide the fact that you're thirsty? Before I moved to Des Moines, there was a man in my church who was an alcoholic. He tried for years to get sober always would fall back into drinking. And after many years of trying, he finally made it through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Alcoholics Anonymous. And he's not touched alcohol for years. I asked him once, I said, so what changed? Like, what was the difference this time? The time that actually stuck, what was the difference? And here's what he said. He said, I had to put myself in clean water. And what he meant was he had to stop lying to himself and admit his way of life just wasn't working. His patterns of behavior, the influences in his life, the people he was around were not bringing him the happiness that he thought that he was, that he thought that it was. Every time he tried to quit drinking, he'd go back to the same environment, to the same patterns and the same way of thinking. And every time it would end the same way, he'd wake up with a hangover, wondering how he got there. He had to quit convincing himself that he knew what was best, that he could get himself out of this, out of this mess. He had to surrender to God. I've had the privilege of working with a number of addicts in my career uh, as a pastor. And the pattern is usually the same early on. They'll say something like, don't worry, I've got this. I could quit anytime. If it gets really bad, I'll stop. And down and down the spiral goes and, and it will not change until they're ready to admit that they in fact don't have the power over this thing that they say they do. They themselves don't have the power over it that they say they do. They have to surrender to someone else. And so I want to invite us all tonight to stop lying to ourselves and stop pretending that we're not thirsty. To lay our pride down for a second and say, you know what, Jesus? Yeah, deep down in my heart, as much as I try to build up this facade and as much as I try to even convince myself that I've got it, I just want to rest in you, Jesus. I need the living water that you promise. I don't even know entirely what that metaphor is supposed to mean, but whatever it is, I need it. John 10, 14 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's an eternity of hope and life and peace that Jesus made available to us. It was made available through his death. He drank the cup of wrath so you can drink living water. He took upon death so we can have eternal life. He suffered torment so that we can know peace. He sweat drops of blood so that we can have a life that's anchored in joy. And I want everyone here to take it tonight. To drink it tonight. And so if that's you, if, if I don't know, maybe you've come to church a lot, but maybe not. And if you haven't and you were like, you know what? Yes, I, there is something missing here. And if Jesus truly has this living water that he tells this woman at the well about, then I need it. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you close your eyes? We can all do this. Close our eyes. Would you join me in this prayer? Just pray this in your heart. Dear God, I'm thirsty. I'm ready to stop pretending that I'm not. I need what you have to give me. Tonight, I admit that my ways are wrong. I confess to the harm I've caused, to the pride that I've carried. Forgive me. I surrender to your will and want to follow your ways. Fill me with your spirit so that I am sustained and strengthened to live for you even when the thief comes knocking at my door. This Good Friday, as we observe your cross, I resolve to take up my own, to carry it for your glory and for the sake of the world. Save me, God. Be glorified in me. Amen. Tonight, if you've prayed that prayer and, that's, and you meant it, and this is, this is the first time that you've ever done anything like that, um, I would love to talk to you about that. And so all you need to do is let us know on your connection card. You can circle the cross on your connection card. and um, If you're online, you can check the box on your connection card. And I would love to be able to follow up and talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So we've talked a lot about drinking water, drinking from the cup, Um, we're going to continue that theme and we're going to take communion. Just as Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath, we get to drink the cup that gives us eternal life. And that cup happens to be the body and the blood of Jesus. And so uh, the elements are down here. It's all gluten-free. And as the band plays this next song, I'll invite you to come down at your convenience. Uh, You can just take it right here. There's a garbage can. Go ahead and take the bread and the juice at the same time if you'd like. but we're about to engage in a ritual that takes us back to the night that Jesus was betrayed. Christians has been doing this every, you know, Good Friday at least, but Christians has been continually doing this 2,000 years now. It's amazing. And so as we do this, just remember that you're now joining a, a universal, a global group of people who this very day around the world are celebrating this very moment. Uh, Paul writes, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pray with me one more time. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for the fact that your body was broken, your blood was spilled on our behalf that we might be able to live. And so now as we take these elements into our bodies, may it nourish our souls, God. We pray all these things in your name.